You're listening to the Tech Life Today podcast featuring thoughtful stories and diverse personalities of the alumni, students, and staff of the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology. This is the place to learn and be entertained by people with a passion and a purpose, both inside and outside the classroom. The Tech Life Today podcast is an extension of Tech Life Today, Nate's online magazine. You can find more stories online by visiting techlifetoday.ca or by going to Tech Life Nate on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Liz Pittman. I'm a writer for techlifetoday.ca and the host of this podcast. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Today, we're talking about putting your best foot forward in your job search with Nate grad Shannon Neighbor. Shannon is a partner with Svensson Neighbor Recruiting and the chair of Nate's Alumni Association Advisory Committee. She'll share valuable LinkedIn and networking tips, advice on the art of the follow-up, and address the importance of the cover letter. All right, Shannon, thanks so much for joining me today for the Tech Life Today podcast. You're welcome. We can pick up some LinkedIn and some networking tips and have our listeners ready for the job search. Sounds great. So let's start with LinkedIn, which is a social network for professionals. There's more than like 590 million users on this site, yet it's surprising to me how many people I know who still haven't signed up. Why is this an important tool that people should be considering? So I think that in terms of tools, you know, like business professional tools where you go to kind of uh, keep your resume or, you know, keep in touch with past colleagues, I would definitely say LinkedIn is the site to be on. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people maybe aren't on it because they haven't thought about, you know, searching for a job in a while. And a lot of people kind of correlate, should I be on LinkedIn with, am I looking for a job right now? But it's, you need to kind of broaden the way you think about it. Um, for me, um, I was kind of the same way. And when I left my corporate job, that's when I started to really get into LinkedIn thinking I might need to find a new job. Um, but really, is where it's useful is keeping in contact with, you know, previous colleagues. Um, If you're a salesperson, being able to use it to network with other professionals, to do business development. So I think that it's important that everybody has a presence there. And as our job search and the tools we use um, become more online and a lot more focused on that rather than a paper resume, I think that it's even more important to be visible there. So if you're applying for a job and you don't have a LinkedIn profile, Would that hurt your hiring potential? I think that there are some HR people who are most certainly going to try and look up the candidate online to Mm -hmm. see what additional information that they can gather, especially candidates that get further down the interview process. Um, For some, though, maybe not. Um, Like there perhaps are some hiring managers or HR professionals who are a little bit more traditional in their approach who aren't looking for that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like as we, you know, go down into the next year, three years, five years, it will be critical, I think. So if there's someone listening to this episode and they realize, maybe I should get a LinkedIn profile after what you've just said, what are some essential things to remember when creating that profile or maybe beefing up an existing one? The more comprehensive your profile is, the more likely people are going to want to connect with you, um, the more searchable you're going to be in searches, um, and the more, I guess, legitimate you're going to look. Um, You know, I always find it interesting, people who have the LinkedIn profile without the picture and they just have their current, you know, job on there and there's no other information. It's, you know, I'm kind of of the opinion, why bother doing it unless you're going to do it well? Um, The other important thing to remember is if you're a job seeker to make sure that what you're seeing on the LinkedIn profile 
profile really echoes what is happening on the resume. Mm. So there aren't any discrepancies there. I feel like the resume can be a condensed version of the information you have on LinkedIn, but you definitely want to make sure the dates are the same, the names of the companies you worked at are the same, you know, when you graduated is the same, um, just in case that HR person is going there to validate that information. Sure. I want to talk to you about connection requests. Yes. So we've all received a connection request on LinkedIn from someone we don't know. And for those who aren't on LinkedIn who might be listening to this, a connection request is similar to a Facebook friend request. Right. Yep. Is it a faux pas to send a connection request to someone you don't know? Uh, I think no. Um, I do not at all. I think that if me personally, if I'm going to send a connection request to someone I don't know, um, I'm going to provide a note right kind of saying why now for me um, because I'm a recruiter and I use this very intensely in my job as a tool to you know uh, headhunt candidates mm-hmm. um, I don't ever send a connection request to someone I don't know I'll send what's called an in-mail which is essentially like a, an email through LinkedIn um, and I pay to be able to send those to people I feel like that is a more respectful way but I also recognize that not everyone pays for a LinkedIn account like I do. And so sometimes to connect with someone or to have that conversation, you have to invite them to connect. But I would definitely recommend writing that note saying, you know, this is who I am and this is why I'm requesting to connect with you. Um, Because some people are not comfortable welcoming people into their network unless they are people that they know. Sure. So LinkedIn, one social media network to consider, but let's talk about other social media accounts. There's been stories of people being fired or getting job offers revoked due to social media antics. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on doing a, a, a scan of personal social media accounts to clean them up? Are employers looking at those? Oh, they're looking. Yeah. Yeah. You bet they're looking. Um, I think that that's, you know, interesting that you brought that up because there has been a lot of newsworthy stories about, you know, people getting fired. Mm -hmm. They've said something inappropriate, done something inappropriate, even being caught on camera. And all of a sudden it's like, who's this person? And then you're being outed. So I do think that it is very important to have a very professional persona on all social media channels. Not saying that you can't be, um, you know, a representation of who you are, but I mean, employers are looking there. They want to make sure that when they're hiring someone for their team, that this person is going to represent their values and, you know, the morals of the company. They don't want someone who's, you know, doing inappropriate things and, you know, potentially reflecting poorly on the employer. So some people will argue that point and say, why can't I just use the highest privacy settings on my account so no one can see it? Is that a good move or are they doing themselves a disservice by kind of shutting all those doors? Yeah, I, you know, like, that's an interesting point. I do feel like, you know, for instance, some things like Facebook, for me personally, I feel that's very personal. I have Mm -hmm. pictures of my family and my kids and, you know, me having a margarita on vacation. And I don't want everybody seeing that. Mm -hmm. So like that is one of the um, social media platforms that I personally have tighter privacy settings on. Um, I do think, though, it could be a red flag to employers if you have all of the privacy settings on every single social media channel to where nobody can see anything that you do, I think that questions could arise like, well, why is this? Yeah, it's a little suspicious. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk uh, more traditional now. Yeah. We've talked about the technology side of things, but I want to turn our attention to resumes and cover letters. Yeah. Obvious ways to make a good impression, but are they still a thing in 2019? Are cover letters just as important as they used to be? 
So, I mean, for me personally, I don't think in seven years of being a recruiter, I've ever read a cover letter. Hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, sometimes when a job is posted, one of the requirements will be a cover letter and a resume. Sure. So I think that by not submitting a cover letter, um, even if the posting doesn't say submit a cover letter, you could be l like, they could look upon that and say like, well, you didn't supply the cover letter, so we're not going to consider you for a job. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone would be like, oh, they sent a cover letter. We're not going to interview this person. Right. Um, but the opposite may occur. Mm -hmm. So personally, I don't feel like there is any need for a cover letter in, you know, like modern recruitment. Um, I don't feel like the cover letter adds any additional value that I'm not going to see in a resume or I'm not going to get from hearing that individual story either over the phone in a phone interview or in an in-person interview. Mm -hmm. My own um, thoughts on that is that the resume is a tool to get you in the door for an interview. So you have to be um, showcasing your skills and your abilities and how that relates to the job posting. Mm -hmm. The storytelling, which is kind of more of what the cover letter is, in my opinion, is something that you would do in a phone or an in-person interview. Go into more depth about, um, you know, the storytelling around what you've done and why you did it and why you left jobs and kind of what your skills and abilities are. Mm -hmm. If... Our listeners are still new students or new grads with limited experience. How do they make that impression with the resume to get themselves in the door when there's not a lot to put on it? Any advice? Yeah, that can be definitely a challenge. So I think that it's important when you're a student to remember the things that you did in school and the projects you worked on and, you know, how you worked, um, you know, with teams and like the things you got involved in. And sometimes, you know, students might go towards, well, like, I don't have a lot of, you know, real life work experience. It's just part time work experience. Or maybe they've never had a job and it's just been, you know, they're their school and it's you have to think about what you have done at school you've worked on projects you've been involved in groups and like how does that relate to what employers are looking for and how does that relate to the job posting mm -hmm. and it's being able to make those connections and you can do that in the resume by using keywords um, and also by kind of highlighting you know certain projects maybe you worked on awards that you won accolades that you received like there are ways to do that um, you just have to be able to think a little bit outside of the box about how to position that okay so when someone is preparing their resume, what mm -hmm. should they be include? What are you looking for when one comes across your desk? So with the resume, the first thing I'm looking for is something that's easy to read. Mm. So don't send the four-page, five-page novel of a resume. In fact, I think the one-page resume is where it's at. And I, I know that sometimes people... Um, are very involved in volunteerism or, you know, extracurricular things. So it can become challenging to condense it to one page, but absolutely no more than a two page resume. Okay. And as what I'm looking for is I'm looking for, um, you know, those keywords that kind of align with those skills that we're looking for in the job posting. So it's not always, you know, we're looking for someone who's an engineer. We're looking for someone with, um, you know, sales experience. Sometimes we're looking for some of the softer skills like strong communicator, ability to manage a team, you know, those kind of things. So having those, um, you know, skills really highlighted front and center on the resume we look for. And then I want to quickly and easily see where you worked, what your job title was, what are the dates that you worked there. Um, and that's, I mean, just really basic and easy to read. I think that um, the average 
person spends about seven seconds looking at a resume. So that's how quick you kind of have to draw that parallel between what the job posting is looking for and what your skills are. Yeah. Seven seconds, not a lot of time. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So let's say the, the resume is a hit. You're in the door. You get that interview. After the interview, let's talk follow-up. Yeah, you bet. How does one go about doing that? Okay, so first of all, follow-up. Just that word is important. Okay. Like, you have no idea how many people do not do follow-up. So, I mean, I think that in my career being a recruiter, I mean, I've probably interviewed, I mean, hundreds, if not thousands of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say maybe 10% even follow-up with me. Really? Maybe even less. Wow. And so, And sometimes I take that, you know, into consideration, like, I'm a recruiter, so maybe they would act a little bit different with the direct employer. Um, But I mean, keep in mind, most of the recruitment we do is sales recruitment. So I would feel like a salesperson would do that follow-up to try and kind of close the deal, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, But follow-up is everything. Uh, Even follow-up. So for instance, I'll just give you an example. If a candidate sends in a resume, but they're not a fit for the job we're recruiting for, oftentimes we probably won't call them just because we have like the volume of resumes for all the job orders that we're working in. Mm -hmm. If someone sends a resume and calls me saying, I sent her resume, just want to chat with you more about this job, every single time I will call that person back because that shows initiative. And I think that follow-up is the same thing. It's like when you follow up saying, thank you for your time, it was a pleasure um, meeting you, and this is kind of what I took away, I'm looking forward to the next steps. I feel like that shows initiative, and that to an employer will show this is a person that I would want on my team. This mm-hmm. is someone who's taking that time to, you know, be gracious and to follow up. And, and show a genuine interest. Exactly. Exactly. Should that follow-up be a phone call or an email? What's, you know? So I think that usually the rule of thumb is probably an email. So one thing that I always advise our candidates of is get ask for a business card. So that's not always something that is provided in the interview, but, you know, ask for the person's, you know, business card and then within 24 hours send an email to follow up and say thank you okay to shift gears just slightly to talk uh networking you're still very much involved with nate and probably chat with a lot of new grads or those looking to kind of get into their field of interest at networking events like life after nate yeah it's key for those people to make connections what are some essential networking skills for job seekers to remember Yeah, so I think the one thing that people need to know about networking, and I wish that, you know, when all students started going to school on the first day, they're like, start networking. Really? Because I feel like that is something that you should do, and it should be intentional, and it should be deliberate, and it should be something that you, you know, commit a certain amount of time to doing. I feel like with networking, a lot of students will graduate, and then they're like, now I need to start networking. And I'm not saying that that's too late because it's never too late to start doing that. But think about how much more valuable that would have been if, you know, in after the first year they started networking and you were making those, you know, key industry connections. So I think, you know, for students and, you know, going back to the comment about, you know, not having, you know, work experience, this is a way to, you know, get involved and to make those connections and hear about more volunteer opportunities and things that you'd be able to profile on a resume. Um, And I also think that, you know, and people say this, and I believe it's true that a lot of hiring happens based on, you know, people that people know, right? It's, you know, you meet someone and then there's a job opening and 
companies don't even post that job because they already know someone. And so, you know, not only does that show initiative, but you're getting to know people and you're learning more. Right. If a, a student is listening to this and they realize they need to start networking, but how? Yeah. How does how do you make that first step? Is it a matter of calling companies that you're interested in? How do you make that first move to get started? Right. So that can be the daunting thing. Yeah. So, I mean, depending on, you know, what program you're taking, um, usually every kind of area of business, whether that be, um, you know, marketing or healthcare or, you know, you name it, has some sort of association or groups that industry professionals will kind of come together at to network. Um, and so first and foremost, I would identify kind of what are what are those what are those groups that offer, you know, networking opportunities? You know, it could be like through the Chamber of Commerce. It could be through the Edmonton Business Association. Like it doesn't even have to be necessarily industry related. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it could be through the Advertising Club of Edmonton, um, identifying what those are. And then I always say bring a friend because it can be you know, somewhat awkward For if sure. you're, you know, all these industry professionals and you're a student, you don't know anybody. So bring a friend and, you know, again, deliberate and intentional. Make sure that you you recognize that you're there to meet people so you don't just talk to each other all night. Mm -hmm. But if you do that in a pair, sometimes it's a little bit less intimidating. And, um, you know, like the more you go to, the more you'll see some of the same people, the more you'll make those connections, and then the more valuable it will be. And make those connections with people at these networking events and then connect with them on LinkedIn after? Absolutely. Yeah. I to I even I do that. Yeah. So I'll go to a networking event, I'll meet someone, get their business card the very next day. I'll send them a LinkedIn request saying it was great meeting you at ABC event and hope to, you know, meet you again soon or, you know, however you want to position that. But definitely because I use LinkedIn as a tool like that, that's kinda like my Rolodex and then I can remember where I met people and how that connection happened. So yeah, you bet. Excellent. Well, we've come full circle with yes. uh, with our conversation mm -hmm. today. Thank you so much, Shannon, yeah. for, for joining me and, and hopefully inspiring those looking for jobs to establish those connections and move forward in their careers. Great. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Thank you to Shannon for being part of today's episode, and thank you for listening. In the show notes for this episode, you'll find related Tech Life Today stories, including how to perfect the art of the handshake and advice from people who have launched their own businesses. The Tech Life Today podcast is an extension of Nate's online magazine, Tech Life Today. You can find more stories online by visiting techlifetoday.ca or by going to Tech Life Nate on Facebook and Twitter. If you have feedback you'd like to share about the podcast, please email techlife at nate.ca. Thanks so much for listening. We can't wait to share more Nate stories with you.